Okay, so here's the thing about getting married young. You have zero money. Ryan and I, we said I do right out of college. I was 23, he was 22, and I had just accepted a job in ministry. And Ryan, well, he was going to grad school. So you see what I mean? Like the fewest of dollars in the bank account. We found this little 800 square foot house built in the 1960s, and it was shaped like the letter U, meaning like I could stand in our bedroom and look out the window and see straight into our kitchen. Our weekends, well, that just meant we would roll right into our parents' houses, hoping that they were going to make us dinner or even better, take us to the Cracker Barrel. Because who doesn't need a weekend biscuit with blackberry jam? Can we just like pause for a moment and appreciate those biscuits? I just, I have such a deep love for them, but we're carrying on. Our first Christmas, it approaches, right? And this girl, this girl right here talking, the one with zero artistic ability and even less patience, I determined that I was going to be fiscally responsible and I'm going to make everyone's Christmas gifts. I'm going to build them from scratch with my own two hands, a few swipes through Pinterest, and I had a plan, coasters and personalized hat racks. Now tell me, who among us doesn't need coasters and personalized hat racks? Me. I don't want those. Why would anyone else want those? Why did I think this was a good idea? You know, I blame my abundance of confidence and also the rise of Pinterest that made you feel like you could make anything. It's just a few steps. I mean, it promised me that this process for my coasters and my hat rack was only going to be five to six steps. Minimal mess, minimal labor. I took myself a trip to Hobby Lobby and to Lowe's, and I quickly had all that I needed. And so there I sat in the middle of our tiny living room, the coffee table shoved up against the wall, my tools of the trade spread all around me, real housewives playing in the background, real seasonal, real festive, and I started to build. And then I threw it away and started again, because the first try never counts, right? Okay, well, what about like the 56th try? Okay, what if you're just trying and trying And it's not happening. It honestly left me with my thumb and index finger somehow glued together. And this personalized hat rack with each letter of my hand painted Holland tilting further and further up to the right. I was crying. The housewives were yelling. Ryan was hiding, which was honestly impressive because we only had 800 square feet to hide in. But that, my friends, that was the first and the very last time that I built anything. I was so angry. Like, so ticked off that I promise you, I did not scroll Pinterest for two years. I held it personally responsible for the Pinterosity that was that year's Christmas. But where I lack in an ability to build with my hands, I fully make up for with my ability to build with my mind and my heart. My thoughts, dreams, desires, they are talented architects carefully constructing altars to the past, the present, and the future. And here's the thing about these altars, about these idols. They are so easy to build. Beams are held up with our yearning for a new season. Maybe one with a spouse, maybe one with a positive pregnancy test, a promotion, a number on the scale, an offer, or a move. Walls are put up to protect what we think will bring us the satisfaction we so desperately crave. A settled spirit that no longer feels pressure to be or do or go. And we find ourselves bowed down to what has suddenly taken over our thoughts, feelings, and dreams. Eventually, these idols, so carefully constructed, 
define our decisions. All of 2021 for me, it was spent deconstructing my own idols. Late nights of reading and writing, and if I'm real honest with you, sometimes sobbing in bed as God one by one began hammering through the drywall of all that I had built that I wouldn't let him have. You know, for longer than I care to admit, I thought of idols only in the sense of the Israelites in the Old Testament worshiping at a golden calf in Exodus 32. You know, for them, this particular idol was born out of waiting. Moses was on the mountain talking with God, while those left down below grew tired of waiting on where God would direct them next. Things that waiting will do to us, right? We're okay that first little bit, you know. Yes, God, I'll, I'll wait on you. Whenever you're ready, you just, you let me know. I'll be right here. I'm shouting those, you know, Maverick City music lyrics until you show me what's next. I've tasted your goodness. I'll trust in your promise. I'm going to wait on you. I'm good. I'm good. Just you let, you let me know, right? And then the offer doesn't come. The relationship doesn't grow. The job is less than ideal. The loneliness creeps in. Nothing stirs restlessness like a lack of clarity. But let's be a little more honest here. There's no real lack of clarity. God has never hidden his desires from us. It's when we start adding to what God has already asked of us that we get restless. I'll start treating my conversations with him as negotiations for me. Okay, God, yeah, still waiting down here, doing good, trusting your promise, all that. Great, good, yes. But what's in it for me? When will I get what I want? What's, what's my payoff here? We allow and use these idols to identify and justify who we are. Okay, let's take it back to the Israelites. Just a quick recap. They're waiting on Moses to come back down off the mountain where he's, you know, chit-chatting with the Almighty God. And to be real with you, they get bored. So they think, we can take care of this. Not a problem. They melt all their gold jewelry and they take matters into their own hands, constructing a giant golden calf, which is a very... Our choice, to be honest with you. But for them, the waiting got old. So they got busy. What started as a distraction became their direction. Their eyes weren't set on the creator anymore. Their future was now fueled by what they created. We build our relationships. We build our families. We build our careers. We build our dreams. If what we want doesn't fall into our laps, we create it for ourselves, right? I mean, I'm not too far off, am I? Like looking back over the last 10 years of my own life, I know my instinct to build. It just, I couldn't help myself sometimes, which is, it's not always a bad thing. Truly, this drive and this sense of purpose, it's, it's God-given, but it's the motive of the building that matters. I never stopped and asked myself, why is this so important to me? What do I really, deep down, really want the results of this to be. You know, just 12 chapters earlier in Exodus, you know, we're gonna, we were in Exodus 32. Let's look at Exodus 20. God had spoken to Moses loud enough for the Israelites to hear. He was handing down the Ten Commandments. So when I say that, that God does not keep it a secret, what he is asking of us, this is that perfect example. Here is the very first commandment. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 22. As is the case with all God does, there is purpose to the very first commandment revolving around idolatry. 
Martin Luther wrote about it, arguing the fundamental motivation behind lawbreaking is idolatry. We never break the other commandments without breaking the first one. God is clear about what he asks of us. Put nothing else ahead of me. Be chained to, bound by nothing. Because I brought you out of slavery already. He did it for the Israelites and he did it for us on the cross. God knew what would lead to the sin in our lives, which is bowing down to the altars that we build for ourselves. The altars we build around good things, probably, but they're not eternal things. Tim Keller, who is super deep, but super formative. He wrote in his book, Counterfeit Gods, we would not lie unless first we had made something human approval, reputation, power over others, financial advantage, unless we had made something more important and more valuable to our hearts than the grace and favor of God. We say, if I just have blank, then I will feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value and I will feel significant and secure. Idols give us a sense of being in control and What we can do is locate them by looking at our nightmares. What do we fear the most? What if we lost it or didn't get it would make life hard to walk through? Here's what I'm getting at. The idols that we build are rarely constructed intentionally. We aren't thinking, oh, new day, new idol. What can I give the throne of my heart to today? No, that's not how it works. Idols grow as awareness erodes. Schedules fill, milestones are marked, relationships built, professional ladders climbed until you poke your head up from the striving long enough to realize these good things became faux holy things, elevated and positioned in life to be what we look to for definition and direction. And to tell you the most frustrating truth, I didn't know that I had built idols I wasn't warned at the ease in which we lay the foundation of good intentions, slowly adding bricks of yeses and mortared with appreciation and admiration. Was I still pursuing a relationship with Jesus? Sure, yes, absolutely I was. But the fruits of my pursuit were always dampened by the position of my heart. I lived on the fringes of God's work because my work came first. His kingdom coming was sacrificed for the kingdoms I was building. As a wife, a mother, an employee, a friend, I just, I wish I had learned to pay attention sooner. To notice what held priority privately, deep down in the recesses of my heart. Even when, maybe publicly, I was spurting off priorities. When you start identifying idols, there's a few reactions we have. Blame what let you down. We hold accountable the thing that disappointed us and we try to move on to something better. Or blame yourself. And this leads to negative thought patterns and shame. Blame the world, which only leaves us annoyed, cynical, and lost. And according to Keller, all three of these, they just perpetuate the cycle of idolatry. He says our hearts are idol-making factories. And he's not wrong. 
All three of those blame what let you down, blame yourself, blame the world. They're just, they're forms of deflection. We want to justify our decisions for what we are looking to, to justify our existence. So what in your life do you use to justify yourself? What, if removed, leaves you unsure who you are? Chances are, your answer is your idol. Identify it, confess it, reject it over and over. And the key, the key to it all, it circles right back to where we started in January. Open your hands. Loosen your white knuckle grip on that relationship, job, status, goal, person. Open your hands and allow God to place in them what you really need and remove what gives you more glory than him. Set your eyes on eternity and develop those spiritual disciplines, time in the word, prayer, worship. It's really hard, really hard to not notice the idols when you're constantly trying to notice God's work in your life. The two things do not live side by side very often. Now, the key two, key number one, open our hands. Second, remember. Did you know remember is used almost 300 times throughout scripture? Just look at this. Fast forward in the Old Testament, just a little bit to 1 Samuel. Again, the Israelites... They're collecting idols like tie beanie babies in the mid nineties. All right. They just like, whatever happens, let's grab one. This is work. This will work this time. Right. And they're living lives of defeat. So Samuel, a prophet in first Samuel seven, he stands in front of all of Israel and is like, listen, y'all got a bunch of things that you're trusting in more than God. You've laid your heart at the feet of idols and it's led only to defeat. We have got, we've got to shift course here. We got to pivot Long story short, the people of Israel, they gather at a place called Mizpah and they lay their idols down, okay? They release what's defining and justifying them, the things bringing a false security, because that's all idols are, easily stripped away, threadbare, ultimately useless blankets that we spend our energy and time pulling and tucking in spaces that they were never meant to fit. What they thought was protecting them was destroying them. What we think is building us up is slowly tearing us down. It's creating habits and thought patterns and attachments that feed a narrative that we hold no value outside of them. And so the Israelites, they're like, man, Samuel's, he's right. We have, we have built these idols up again. And so they gather and they tear down their idols and they raise their hands to their defender, definer, and almighty justifier. And because their hearts and their motives are set on God's character, on his promise and on his glory alone, they begin winning their battles. It stopped being about the right combination of work and worship. And it began being about gratitude and glory for the one true God. The gods that we create will only and can only disappoint us. The God who created us will only and can only restore us. This last part with Israelites, okay? It's what I've been looking forward to this entire podcast. Because when I notice this, it has become a cornerstone in my own faith. After the battle, 
the battle that God won for an open-handed, repentant Israel, Samuel went and he built a place of remembrance to mark the goodness of God. He named this monument of remembrance Ebenezer, which means stone of help. Remembering God's past work creates faith in his future work. Even in the waiting, even in the restlessness, even in the sadness and the disappointment and the frustration, it creates faithfulness in what we know he will do because we look and see what he has already done. Because he is faithful to us. Start building what will bind us closer to him. Start building what will frame our decisions instead of what will force our hands. Start building your own Ebenezer, where in the most restless moments, you will sit and remember the promises of a God who says, I have more for you, more than you can think or imagine. Open your hands. Live a life settled on me and in me with only me as your focus. Let these lyrics from Just As Good be a reminder to remember. And I will build an altar and stack it stone by stone because every Ebenezer says I've never been alone. My faith will surely falter, but that doesn't change what you've done. Because every Ebenezer points to where my help comes from. Hey, I'm cheering wildly for you. We'll be quiet around here for a couple of months, enjoying some time to refill and refresh before we come back in August. But never doubt it for a second. I'm praying over you and I am believing the story that God is writing for you. I'll see you soon.